Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about Hagar's near-death desert experience and how the angel of God, like the Holy Spirit, led Hagar from rebellion unto repentance and salvation. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. Friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes, both websites have all of the Friendship with God messages from Tom Cantor on them for free download and free listening. We also want to encourage you to go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. That's friendshipwithgod.org, and Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse is on there. You can sign up for that to come to your email or to your phone. You can also sign up to send a free gift to a lost Jewish person right through the website. You can also donate through the website, as well as go to our online bookstore, all available at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now, you can also call us at 1-800-247-3051. We'll be able to help you with any online ordering, donations, or even sign you up manually for the daily devotional verse from Tom Cantor. Again, that's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Call us now or after the program. Now, here's Tom Cantor as we continue studying the life of Abraham as we look at Hagar's life and her experience out in the desert. Now, in verse 6, Abraham says to Sarah that he has no affection for Hagar, no feeling, due to her as it pleaseth thee. And Abraham is saying to Sarah that she can put him to the test, she can prove, and he's saying, I'll prove to you, I have no affection for her, I'm not in love with her, you're my only love in my life. But words are not enough for Sarah, because she's in a jealous rage. And so Sarah, in essence, is saying to Abraham, all right, we'll just see, see if you really don't have a flame of affection for Hagar. And so the words in verse 6 are, Sarai dealt hardly with her. Those words, Sarai dealt hardly with her, meant there just weren't enough dirty floors for Sarah to force Hagar to clean. There just wasn't enough filth for Sarai on the ground for Sarai to push Hagar's face into. This is a tough situation. And what we read in verse 6 is Hagar's reaction to this harsh treatment by Sarah. It says in verse 6, And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And notice how it words, how those doesn't say when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled. It doesn't say that. It says when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And we can imagine, actually, we can imagine Sarah had a lot of faces that she probably turned to Hagar. Sarah had a face of anger that she turned to Hagar. Sarah had a face of rage that she turned to Hagar. Sarah had a face of hatred that she turned to Hagar. Sarah had a face of disgust and vengeance. All those faces that Sarah turns to Hagar and Sarah turns this face of war. You know, I'll show you that kind of face to Hagar. And all these faces that Sarah turns to Hagar. And so what does Hagar do? Hagar fled from Sarah's face. And Hagar flees. And when she flees, she lives up to her name, which means a person who flees or a fugitive. That's why in Islam they refer to uh, when Muhammad fled as the Hagarit after Hagar's name. So Hagar, she runs away, and she flees into the desert. And as she does that, she risks her life. Certainly she risks the life of the baby she's carrying, but she doesn't care. It's too much to bear. So she runs away. She flees away. 
And then what we read now, beginning in verse 7, is uh, where it starts off here in verse 7. You can see, and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. So now we start with God dealing with Hagar. And when this starts here, we have before us a beautiful picture of conversion. A beautiful picture in the Bible of the conversion of a lost person. A beautiful picture of the conversion of a saved person from the error of his way. Either way, a beautiful picture of conversion. And we see in these verses here a beautiful picture of how when we were lost and how we came to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. So first... We see Hagar in verse 7, and Hagar is desperate. She doesn't know what to do. For her to stay in Abraham's house was unbearable, unthinkable. She couldn't take it any longer. But for her to go into the desert as a woman all alone, without provision, without protection, that's unthinkable. And so she's stuck there by this well in the wilderness. Maybe she's waiting for Abraham. Maybe she's thinking to herself, You know, I know he loves me. I know he cares for me. I know he has feelings for me. He won't let me die out here. He'll come out here to save me. I'll just wait for him to come. And so she sits by that fountain of water, afraid to go back to Sarah. She's afraid to go into the desert. She maybe hopes that Abraham's going to come after her. And she's just left there by this fountain of water. And she looks to be a person that's paralyzed with fear. That's Hagar there. And this is a typical picture of a lost person on the road to conversion. Like Hagar, the person is desperate in life, doesn't know what to do. And the devil may be suggesting to the person, just kill yourself. Because the depression and the feeling of being desperate is just too great for you. So just end life. It's the picture of Hagar in verse 7 in the wilderness. She's scared. She's depressed. She doesn't know what to do. But Hagar has an advantage because Hagar has an advantage of having lived in Abraham's house. And in Abraham's house, Hagar learned by watching Abraham how to pray. She learned about prayer. She learned about sacrifice. She learned about who God is. She learned how to pray. She had watched Abraham pray. And so she knows she has to pray at this time. And she knows how to pray. And that's a great advantage. It came for her being in Abraham's house. And we can imagine that Hagar is now crying out to God to help her. And Hagar praying is the picture of a lost person trying to pray. The prayers of the lost are like the simple prayer that probably Hagar made to God, which was, oh God, if you can hear me, help me. Oh God, if you're there, I need your help. Oh God, I don't know what to do. Those kind of prayers. And what we read next is it says, and the angel of the Lord found her. He found her, just like with our conversion. As the song says, once I was lost, but now I am found. And so first we see how the angel of the Lord found Hagar. And we read that the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. Now the word Shur in Hebrew means a wall, like a wall of rocks. And that further describes her dilemma. She was maybe, probably, evidently, in a way that's very common in this part, of a way that's hemmed in by rocks, 
by walls of rocks. Remember when the Jewish people came out of Egypt as they were heading off down into across the Red Sea, that they were hemmed in by walls of rocks. So maybe that's a, more of her dilemma is felt when that word sure. And it says she was by a fountain of waters in the wilderness. That's a beautiful description. A fountain of waters in the wilderness. It's like a well in the desert, like an oasis. And thank God for the wells in the desert. She thanked God. But we live in a world that's like a wilderness. You know, we live in a world that is just progressing along in their rejection of the knowledge of God. We live in a world that's described by Hosea 4.6 where it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee. Our world is rejecting the knowledge of God, and therefore it's being destroyed. Our country is rejecting the knowledge of God, and therefore it's being destroyed. Our city is rejecting the knowledge of God, and therefore it's being destroyed. And for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in this world of rejection of the knowledge of God is like living in a desert wilderness. And for us, our country, with its rejection more and more of the knowledge of God, is like for us to be living more and more in a desert wilderness. In our city, the same thing, a desert wilderness. And churches that lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, that magnify him, they're like a description. In verse 7 here, where it says they're like fountains of water in the wilderness. And we see in verse 8 how the angel of the Lord addresses Hagar with a very clear description of how she was. We see that he called her Hagar, Sarai's maid. Now, you know, uh, she didn't need the second part. She could have done this. Hagar would have been okay. (laughs) But there was nobody else out there except her. But by using that term, Hagar, Sarah's maid, a message is being sent to her. There was a spirit of rebellion inside Hagar. And Hagar viewed herself as Abraham's wife. And just like Sarah was Abraham's wife. In fact, when she despised Sarah, she viewed herself as the better wife, the fertile wife, the one that gave Abraham the baby. And so she was better than, she was going to deliver to Abraham his heir, whereas Sarah was not. And so this was a rebellious spirit inside of Hagar's part. And for her to view herself as Abraham's wife, and the more better, the more favored wife. So it's very significant in verse 8 that the angel did not call her Abraham's wife, but he called her Sarai's maid. So in verse 8, by calling Hagar Sarah's maid and not calling her Abraham's wife, the angel of the Lord is causing Hagar to see her rebellion. And in verse 8, by calling her Hagar, Sarah's maid, and not Abraham's wife, the angel of God is bringing Hagar back to her place. And in verse 8, by calling her Sarah's maid and not Abraham's wife, the angel of God in goodness is leading her to repentance. And so what we see here is a beautiful picture of conversion, more of the picture of conversion. Just as the angel of God here with Sarah, with uh, Hagar, in goodness is we see the angel of God leading Hagar to repentance, to see her rebellion. So in conversion, the Holy Spirit in goodness led us, he led us to repentance to see our rebellion against God. It's just as the angel of God here brought Hagar back to her place of being the humble, or she should be, the humble, submissive maid to Sarah, 
So in conversion, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, brings us back to seeing ourselves as a sinner before a holy God and in great need of salvation and great need of forgiveness. Now, verse 8, we see the angel of God ask Hagar now two important questions. And the first question that he asks Hagar is, whence camest thou? Whence camest thou? That's question number one. And the second question that he asked Hagar is, whither wilt thou go? Whither wilt thou go? Now, you know, this is God speaking here, so he obviously knew where she came from. He knew where she was going. So, I mean, you know, the fact that he's asking these questions is rhetorical. Remember, Eddie tried to teach us the other day about rhetorical. But anyway, it's about this rhetorical question. In other words, when Hagar hears that question, Hagar knew that her answer should have been, and really was, I came from Abraham's house. The first question, I came from Abraham's house. In Abraham's house, I had food, I had the knowledge of God. So I came from the place of food, I came from the place of the knowledge of God. In Abraham's house, I was blessed. I came from the place of blessing. That was her answer. And Hagar's answer, it should have been that. But in the second question, whither wilt thou go, he was asking Hagar, where are you going? Where are you going? Where do you think that you're going to end up? Where are you going next, Hagar? You're going next to a life of more rebellion? Where are you going next, Hagar? You're going to go to a life of more guilt? Where are you going next, Hagar? You're going to a life of more sorrow, more depression? That's where you're going, Hagar? Face it. See, these two questions were really face-it questions. So these two simple questions being the face-it questions were soul-searching questions for Hagar as they brought Hagar to the end of herself. Look where you left. Where do you think you're going? And these two simple questions are a picture of the conversion process for a lost soul. These are the two questions, so very simple. Where have I come from? Where am I going? The Lord Jesus Christ told the history of the man who had a son who rebelled, and the son rebelled, and the son ruined his life, and the son repented, and the son was converted, and the history of his conversion, there were these two questions, these same two questions that he asked himself, and those two questions caused him to convert. And the picture of that son asking him those two questions is the picture that the Lord Jesus Christ gave of conversion in Luke 15, 13 through 19, which is the history of the prodigal son. And what it says is that he took his journey to a far country, he wasted his substance, and he spent all, and there was a big famine, and he began to be in want, and he ends up feeding swine, quite undignified for a Jewish person, but anyway, and he would have filled himself with the swine ate, but nobody gave him any food. And then it says in verse 17, when he came to himself, and it's interesting, when he comes to himself, he talks to himself, and he asks him essentially two questions. He said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Just like Hagar, this prodigal son left home in rebellion. Just like Hagar, this prodigal son found himself at the end of his own resources, desperate, not knowing what to do. Just like Hagar, this prodigal son asked two questions, and it was those two questions that caused him to repent when he comes to himself. He came to himself. He asked the first question, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare. And where have I come from? I've come from a house of blessing. 
And when he came to himself, he answered the second question by saying, where am I going? That was the second question. And he said, I perish with hunger. I'm going to perish with hunger. So he answers the second question. Where am I going? I'm going to perish with hunger. Where has a lost person come from? Maybe the lost person has come from a Christian home. And now he's in college, and it's time for him to be free from all those religious constraints that just bound him. And now he can break out. Maybe the lost person has come from hearing a Christian witness. A faithful Christian has told him about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's time for him to leave that witness and to enjoy the world, not to be under bondage as he would see it. But the lost person is on the road to conversion when he realizes the answer to the question, I came from something better than I'm in now, and where am I going to disaster? I'm going to an eternity without God. And for any lost person to be saved, he's got to deal with these two vital questions that Hagar was asked. Where are you coming from? What are you running away from? And where are you going? How can this life without God end in anything except disaster? Now we see how Hagar responds to the two questions in verse 8. And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress. Her answer really didn't answer the two questions. I mean, her answer should have been, you know, I rebelled and I left the house of blessing. I didn't know where I'm going. I'm afraid of where I'm going. And, but instead, what she says here, she gives an answer that kind of leans toward justifying her rebellion. When she says, I fled from the face of my mistress Sarai. So Hagar is explaining why she left, why she's there. Now that's another picture of a lost person. A lost person resists taking responsibility for a sin. And instead, he talks to talk about why he sinned. And so from Genesis 3, Adam resists taking responsibility for a sin. And he says that it's the woman's fault why he sinned. And in Genesis 3, Eve resists, saying, I have sinned, and instead she says it's the serpent's fault. But the clear path to conversion are the words of the prodigal son, where he said, Father, I have sinned. Those simple words, I have sinned, they're so liberating. You know, no more of the who made me do it stuff, but they're just so liberating because they open the doors of God's forgiveness. Anything short of those words, I have sinned, and the doors stay closed. Tom, today you talked about the near-death experience of Hagar and Ishmael in the desert. Now, death is a subject we'd rather avoid talking about, but Hagar and Ishmael avoided death. But death is something that eventually happens. What is the purpose of death in a greater explanation? Right, well, we really have to divide that into two questions. The first question is, what was the purpose of death for the Lord Jesus Christ? And the second question is, what is the purpose of death for us? And in order to answer the first question, it's the verse that we covered today, which is in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, which really give us the purpose of his death. Because it says in that verse that For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So what we really have here is a requirement, and the requirement is that because the goal or the purpose for his death 
was to destroy the devil and to deliver us who were held in the devil's captivity in his in his prison. In other words, that's the purpose. So in order for him to do that, he became like us. And when he became like us, he had one goal in his view, and that was he was going to die. He knew that his purpose was to die because in that death was really, we could call it a death struggle, because it was a death struggle, a death fight, that through that death, through that fight, he would be victorious in destroying the devil, which he was, that has the power of death, and to deliver us. So it's no question about it that in the case of the Lord, Jesus Christ, his purpose in death was twofold. One, to destroy the devil, and two, to deliver us. Now, the second part of the question, which really gets close to home, is what's the purpose of death for us? And as you mentioned, we just rather not even think about death, but especially uh, to think about a, a subject like a purpose in death, a purpose in dying. Well, The Bible here is also clear. It speaks about the purpose of our death in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, where it talks about our death as a sowing of a seed. In other words, the planting of a seed. And the picture there is of the seed dying. And and we know this is what happens when seeds, they they die, and then something comes up, uh, the plant comes up in its place of the dead seed. But if the seed doesn't go into the ground and die, then we know that there cannot be new life. And so what it says here is that so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So here's the here's the issue with us. We have problems. What are our problems? First of all, we have a problem of corruption. Our old man is corrupt to the core. Second, we have a problem of dishonor. Third, we have a problem of weakness. And fourth, we have a problem of a natural body. And God's remedy for these four problems is, in place of corruption, that we should be in incorruption. In place of dishonor, we should be in glory. In place of weakness, we should be in power. In place of having just a natural body, for example, as animals, we should have a spiritual body. And God's purpose in death is to accomplish that change for us, is to see us to transform from corruption to incorruption, from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power, from natural body to a spiritual body. That's through death. That's the purpose of death in our lives. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. We'd like to encourage you to make a contribution to this teaching program today that reaches around the world through our iTunes podcast and messages that are available for free downloading and listening at friendshipwithgod.org. So again, free messages at iTunes and friendshipwithgod.org so that you can listen or your friends can listen around the world free anytime. You can also get past messages. They're all available there for free listening and free download, friendshipwithgod.org, or search for Friendship with God on the iTunes podcast. And every donation that we receive not only helps the podcast and the Friendship with God free downloads to go around the world for free listening, it also has a matching donation towards Israel Restoration Ministries and our Jewish Evangelism Outreach that has reached over 1.5 million lost Jewish people a year, as well as many Gentiles with the gospel. 
We like to encourage you to give your donation. It's 100% tax deductible and will go towards evangelism and keeping the Friendship with God radio program going around the world. Now go to friendshipwithgod.org to donate online or call us now or after the program at 1-800-247-3051. Now do you have a lost Jewish friend that you'd like to reach with the gospel? Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries would like to help you to reach them with a free gift of Tom Cantor's life story on DVD and a booklet form. We'd like to send that to your lost Jewish friend or give that to you to give to them so that you can reach them. Whether it's a friend, coworker, family member, or an acquaintance, anyone that's Jewish, all you need to do is go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org and fill out the online form. We'll send that free gift to your Jewish friend or to you to give to them. You can also sign up at friendshipwithgod.org for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It'll come to your phone or to your email, and you can sign up for that at friendshipwithgod.org, also for your free gift for a lost Jewish friend. 1-800-247-3051-1-800-247-3051-1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now, we also want to let you know about our resource for the month. It's Passover that will soon be here, and Tom Cantor's got a tremendous teaching on DVD from Exodus 12 and Isaiah 53. It's a two-disc DVD production, bringing to life the process and passion of the Passover lamb for the Jewish people and the personal relevance of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives today. It's a great gift for any Christian, unbeliever at Easter time, or even a Jewish person as Passover is soon approaching. Now call us today, we'll be able to get you this resource of the month for a donation of $20 or more, and we'll get you this powerful DVD and teaching on the Passover from Tom Cantor, 1-800-247-3051. Again, a donation of $20 or more, we'll send that to you, our resource of the month, the Passover from Tom Cantor, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.